Quite a few, few weeks ago, uh, I started a study um, in the, of the book of Ephesians. I talked about, or I talked the entire way through the first couple of chapters. And uh, tonight, um, Lord willing, I'll go through just one more chapter tonight. Um, I had originally planned to do two chapters, but um, I have more than enough material for <laughs> For, uh, for one night in this one chapter. So we will go through that. Um, so just a recap of what we looked at previously. Um, what we need to know about the book of Ephesians is that it was written by the Apostle Paul to the Gentile churches in Ephesus um, and uh, in that area. And so who is a Gentile? What is a Gentile? What do we mean when we say Gentiles? Well, there were two sets of people according to the Jewish way of thinking back um, in those days. There were Jews and there were Gentiles. Gentiles is just non-Jews. So um, we have the Jews and anyone who wasn't a Jew was referred to as a Gentile. Um, There was a lot of conflict. There was a lot of um, disagreement and Uh, The Jews thought that they were better than the Gentiles, and the Gentiles hated the Jews' guts for thinking that way. Um, That's basically what it comes down to. Um, (laughs) But the Jews were were written, uh, were had the law of of God um, handed down through generations um, that was uh, taught to them um, over and over again, Uh, and that was handed down to them by God Himself. God had all of the laws and all of the commandments and, and God had provided a way for the Jews to be saved but not the Gentiles. The, there, were, there have been records in the Bible of some Gentiles being saved here and there but to the most degree, the Gentiles, there was no plan, there was no way of salvation for the Gentiles. They were lost and only the Jews could be saved. God had chosen the Jews as his people and the ones that had the, the chance of salvation and the chance of coming before God and the chance of getting to heaven. The Gentiles, they were outcasts. They were rejects to all extent, uh, to all intents and purposes. Paul was a Jew um, himself, and he was a former Pharisee who had been taught perfectly in all the laws and the commandments of God and the Pharisees. But... Something happened to Paul, and God turned him around, and God changed his, his life and, set him, and actually sent him to the Gentile people. Now, God uh, made a way of salvation for the Gentiles. And this book of Ephesians is talking all about the differences between the Jews and the Gentiles and how God has brought both into one church. God has made a way of salvation and that the church is built... Um, up by, um, by both the Jews and the Gentiles. There's no wall, there's no partition, but God has put all into one church and God lays upon his foundation Jews and Gentiles and Jews and Gentiles and all have been brought into the way of salvation. And, how, and, and Paul, in the first couple of chapters, talks about how awesome it is and how um, the, these Gentiles that he's, he's ministering to shouldn't take it um, for granted, but they should realize just how awesome a, uh, an ability uh, that God has given 
to uh, these Gentile people just what an awesome um, uh, way of salvation and plan that God has put into place. Because these Gentiles, they were lost, but God had made a way for them to be saved. And so we pick up in Ephesians chapter 3. So if you're not already there, if I can get you to turn to Ephesians chapter 3, please. And we're starting at verse 1. We'll read through the entire chapter over the course of this evening. And we'll look at it in some detail. For this cause, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles. There has been some speculation as to which imprisonment Paul is referring to here. Acts, the book of Acts, refers to two significant imprisonments after Paul was falsely accused by the Jews, first in Caesarea and then in Rome a bit later on. However, there may have been more. In 2 Corinthians 11.23, Paul states that his imprisons more frequent. However, this could possibly refer to the length of time he has spent in prisons rather than separate prison sentences um, itself because he suddenly spent a lot of time in prison overall. The traditional view (coughs) is that Paul wrote the book of Ephesians, the book of Colossians, and the book of Philemon while imprisoned at Rome. So the the last um, imprisonment that he he was in. Uh, These three books were also most probably all written together and sent at the same time via Tychicus and Onesimus, um, the book of Philemon being sent by Onesimus um, for those who, who know the book of Philemon. There is also strong evidence that Philippians was written from Rome at about the same time as well and was possibly sent at the same time through Tychicus. Ephesians 3 and verse 2. If you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given me to you would. This is a rhetorical question. There is little doubt that the Ephesian church had already heard the dispensation of the grace of God through Paul's preaching. This is evident from the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 18, verse 19, uh, this is the first time Paul comes to Ephesus. It says, and he came to Ephesus and left them there, talking about his companions. But he himself entered into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. And when they desired him to tarry longer time with them, he consented not. But bade them farewell, saying, I must by all means keep this feast that cometh in Jerusalem, but I will return again unto you if God will. And he sailed from Ephesus. So that was Paul's first visit to Ephesus, but it wasn't the last. What happened, um, the, the Bible then talks straight after that about Apollos coming to Ephesus, uh, who was a, a mighty man in the Word of God, and he was taken under the wing of Aquila and Priscilla at the end of Acts chapter 18. Then the first thing we read in Acts chapter 19 is Paul returning to Ephesus. Acts chapter 19 verse 1 says, And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples. And it then goes into the narrative of Paul ministering salvation um, to 12 men at Ephesus who had been baptized in John's baptism only. And they had almost certainly been baptized by Apollos before he met Aquila and Priscilla, who um, told him the way of God more perfectly. The narrative then continues straight on in Acts chapter 19, verse 8, with Paul still in Ephesus. 
It says, and he went into the synagogue talking about Paul and spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. But when diverse were hardened and believed not, but spake evil of that way before the multitude, he departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus. This, and this continued by the space of two years, so that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. The next part of Ephesians, oh, sorry, of Acts chapter 19 talks about special miracles being by the hands of Paul, being wrought by the hands of Paul. That was at Ephesus. The seven, then straight after that, the seven sons of Siva, starting in Acts chapter 19 verse 14, who tried to cast out evil spirits in the name of Jesus whom Paul preacheth, and who were soundly beaten for their efforts, uh, for their efforts, were in Ephesus. Straight after that incident, the Bible says in Acts chapter 19 verse 17, and this was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling at Ephesus, and fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. And then skipping down to one verse, in Acts 19.20, it says, So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. Then the Bible um, continues on and talks about the riot that was in, incited by Demetrius the silversmith with the crowd chanting, Greatest Diana of the Ephesians, for two hours long. That was at Ephesus while Paul was still there as well. And what was the main thrust of the speech that Demetrius used to stir up the people? That's in Acts chapter 19, verse 26. Moreover, ye see and hear that not alone at Ephesus, but almost throughout all Asia, this Paul hath persuaded and turned away much people, saying that they be no gods which are made with hands. After the riot, Paul then left Ephesus and continued on his missionary journey. However, on his way back to Jerusalem, where he would quickly get arrested and sent to Caesarea and then to eventually to Rome, he made special arrangements on the way back to speak to the elders of the church at Ephesus. In Acts chapter 20, verse 16, it says, For Paul had, deter had determined to sail by Ephesus, because he would not spend the time in Asia, for he hasted, if it were possible for him, to be at Jerusalem the day of Pentecost. And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. So Paul had something special to say to the elders of the church. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, Ye know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind, and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And then a few verses down, he's still talking to the elders in uh, Acts 20, verse 26. Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. And then a few verses down in Acts 20, 31. Therefore, watch and remember that by the space of three years, I cease not to warn every one night, and day with tears. So yes, the Ephesian church had already heard the dispensation of the grace of God through the Apostle Paul, and no doubt many, many times. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 3. How that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote a few and few, as I wrote a four and few words, whereby 
when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Paul had already started discussing the mystery earlier in this epistle, in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 9 to 10, and now he's going to go into more detail. In verse 5, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. Yes, the mystery is that the Gentiles could also be saved as well as the Jews. Almost every time the word mystery is used in the epistles, it's referring to the provision that God has made for the non-Jews to be able to be saved in the same way as the Jews. The Bible is always talking about mysteries being revealed or understanding being given known to, being given to no mysteries. God wants normal people to be able to know and understand him and the Bible. So people that say that the Godhead or God is a blessed mystery are going completely down the wrong track. They themselves believe something that is completely incomprehensible about God and when challenged, hide behind the phrase blessed mystery to try to justify their own beliefs. The phrase blessed mystery isn't even in the Bible. So it's not biblical to talk about a blessed mystery. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 7, Whereof I was made a minister, according to the gift of the grace of God, given unto me by the effectual working, or the effective working of his power. Unto me, who am blessed than the least of all saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Why was Paul less than the least of all saints? Why did he refer to himself that way? In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 9, it says, For I am the least of the apostles, that I'm not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 12 says, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtain mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering, for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. And also shortly after Paul's arrest in Jerusalem, Paul was given the opportunity to speak for himself. What does he say in Acts 22 and verse 3? I am verily a man which am a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, yet brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, and taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers, and was zealous toward God as ye all are this day. And I persecuted this way unto the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. Paul originally... Uh, his original name was Saul, was a devout Pharisee, passionately zealous for God, and in his zeal he effectively blasphemed God, persecuted the church of God, and caused harm to the people in the church through imprisonment, bonds, scourging, and most probably death. 
This was a heavy weight for the now saved and transformed Paul to bear. It's no wonder that he considered himself the least of all saints. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 9. And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. While Jesus Christ as a man wasn't around at the time of the creation of all things, we know that Jesus Christ is God himself manifest in the flesh. John chapter 1 verse 14 um, talks about um, and the word and in, earlier in uh, chap- John chapter 1 verse 1 it talks about the word being God and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory as of the glory of the only begotten of the Father full of, tra- uh, full of grace and truth. First Timothy um, chapter 3 verse 16 says, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. And goes on to talk about Jesus. Colossians, um, if we could all turn to Colossians chapter 1 verse 12. We'll come back to Ephesians. In fact... The Bible gives no distinction between God himself and the Spirit of God that is fused in the man Christ Jesus, so that he is fully God and fully man. Let's have a look at a similar passage in Colossians, starting at Colossians chapter 1, verse 12. It says, Giving thanks unto the Father, so we're talking about the Father, we're talking about God, which hath made us meet to be partakers in the, of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood. So we're talking about the Son now, okay? Because God didn't die on the cross um, as, um, as Jesus Christ. Well, <laughs> the Spirit of God was in Jesus, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. Still talking about Jesus. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. Still talking about Jesus. And he is before all things and by him all things consist. Still talking about Jesus. And he is the head of the body, the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Talking about Jesus. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. So the Son created all things and was before all things, and by him all things consist But we know that the Son as a man wasn't present at the time of creation. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4 says, But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law. There was a time when God sent forth his Son. He wasn't existing before this time. He was made of a woman, made under the law. The only way to reconcile these scriptures is to realize that Jesus Christ is God manifest himself manifest in the flesh and that when the bible is referring to creation is referring to the creation by the spirit of god that was fused into jesus christ and not by the physical being of jesus christ himself 
In this way, we can correctly call Jesus our God, just like Thomas did to Jesus. He said, my Lord and my God. And, and Jesus said, blessed are you because you have seen and believed. Jesus was saying, yes, you're right, Thomas. You've, you've, you've understood something about me that many have not realized. My Lord and my God. Back to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 10. To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. What does it talk about unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places? Principalities and powers include both the good and the evil angels. In Ephesians chapter 1 verse 20, it says, uh, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world but also in that which is to come. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And in Colossians 1.16, it says, For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. So when we're talking about principalities and powers in the heavenly places, we're talking about, it includes the angels, the good and the, the evil angels. The Bible also says that the angels decided to look into the plan of redemption, but they can't. In 1 Peter 1.12, it says, which things the angels desire to look into. But what it is saying in this verse is saying that God making a way of salvation to all mankind is a testament of the mercy, the grace, and the wisdom of God that reaches not just to us here, but also both to the good and the fallen angels. It's a testament of God that reaches everywhere of his mercy and his grace and his wisdom. Ephesians chapter 3 in verse 11. According to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. The eternal purpose that God had for Jesus Christ was that he would be the savior, not just of the Jews, but for anyone who would humble themselves before him both Jews and Gentiles, and we're all Gentiles. I don't think there's any Jew here today. So as non-Jews, we can boldly and confidently come to Jesus for the salvation of our souls. Verse 13, <clears throat> Wherefore I desire that you faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The standard Jewish prayer is made standing up. So this is an intense, intercessory prayer made for the Ephesian church. This is not your normal prayer. This is something that Paul is deeply feeling and deeply moved and, and, and is making a passionate request to God for, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man. Why did they need to be strengthened with might? Was it for Ephesus a harder place to walk with God than anywhere else? I don't believe that this was the case. 
although it did have its difficulties with the Temple of Diana and its followers, causing their fair share of headaches. When you look at the context of everything that Paul has been talking about before now, it's all been to do with how incredible God's mercy and grace is in allowing the Gentiles to be part of the same church as the Jews. But the things of the church and the things of God don't come naturally to the Gentiles. They and we haven't been taught from childhood the law of Moses. They and we don't have the concept of the worship of one God taught from generation to generation. They and we have been brought up in carnality, not in the principles of God. Paul realized that it was much easier for a saved Jew to walk with God than a saved Gentile. And this is his prayer, that, that, that this is what he realized, that these Ephesians, that all, that he, all the people that he was talking to was going to need, was going to need this intense prayer. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height. This doesn't come naturally to you, Ephesians, to you Gentiles like it does to the Jews, but my prayer is that you will have full understanding of spiritual things. Verse 19, And to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul didn't want the Gentiles just to be saved. He wanted them to experience everything that a walk with God brings. Paul knew that there are depths to God and his word that can't be understood with a carnal mind. And that his prayer is that they would receive everything a walk with Jesus offers. Not just a superficial understanding, but everything. Now unto him, in verse 20, that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. Paul knew that this was a difficult prayer. That the gap between the mindsets and upbringing of Jews and Gentiles was a huge chasm. But Paul had confidence and faith in the one that has all power, that not only could he answer this heartfelt prayer, but that he could do above even what Paul thought was possible. Verse 21, Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Paul wasn't just praying for the Ephesians, but for all other Gentile peoples both in his age and down through all ages to come, throughout all ages, world without end. Paul was praying for us. And just like the Ephesians, God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think in our lives. God is still in the business of transforming the carnal life to the heavenly. There are times that we despair of ourselves in the ways that we fail God. There are times we pray for just a little glimmer of hope in an impossible situation. But God is able to do far beyond what we could even imagine. God has, has given us this opportunity. God has given us this, this ability to come to Him that wasn't before the Christian church. We didn't have any hope. We didn't have any ability to come before Jesus, but through the grace and the mercy and the power and the love of God, we have this ability. God wants to do above and beyond we, that whatever we could ask or think. And in this house tonight, there will be situations that people think are impossible. God has said that there is nothing impossible for him. 
there are people who are despairing of their situations and they can't see a light at the end of the tunnel. God is able to do above all that we could ask or think. God is able to free. God is able to deliver. God is able to lift up. God is able to restore. God is able to strengthen. God is able to do anything beyond what we could even imagine, what we could ask or what we could think. And so I would ask you all to stand tonight. I don't know. I hadn't planned to give an altar call tonight, but I believe that that's where the Lord wants to lead us. God wants to do something in your life tonight that is above that we could ask or think. God wants to do and minister into our lives something that is beyond what we have received from Him before. And so I open up the altars. I invite you to come to the front and to pray and to see God for your situation, for whatever it is that you are finding impossible, for whatever it is that you don't know how to get out of, for whatever it is that, uh, that keeps you awake at night, for whatever it is that we don't have peace. Brother Simon talked about peace this morning. God can give you peace. That when you lay your head on, on, the, on the pillow at night, that you can just go straight off to sleep. God is able to do above all that we could ask or think. You say, that's not me. I've always been this way. God is able to do above all that we could ask or that we could think. And so if you've got a situation, you've got something that you can't control, if you've got something that you don't know how to get out of, God has the answer tonight. And come and pray and just let God minister into your life tonight.